What's happening? Following episode of the Cantori Show is brought to you by Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. The easiest way to get yourself some Mexican auto insurance. Get a quote, buy online, and go. BajaBound.com Off we go and welcome. This is the Cantori Show. Great to be with you as we reboot. That's a fancy way of saying uh, we took some time off or been a little uh, creatively fried or hit a wall and just needed some time to uh, rethink things and reset. And what a great way to reset than uh, with a legendary artist like Perry Farrell. Talk about an icon, the godfather of alternative rock. I've got so much love for the dude, as you'll hear in this forthcoming interview. But first, I do want to recognize uh, the music you hear in the background, courtesy of Purple Keef, which is a band out of Ocean Beach. They do this stony acid jazz stuff, and uh, my buddy Java plays bass. And they've got a show today, 420, at the at the Tiki Hut in OB. Purple Keef. Imagine that. And uh, speaking of the Purple Keef and 420, I do want to thank our sponsor, March and Ash, San Diego's premier cannabis dispensary. If you find yourself an SD or you're in San Diego and down with the products, if you will, uh, check them out in Mission Valley. And City Heights, serving North County up in Vista. They're out east if you're heading out to to Arizona. They've got a spot in Imperial County. And coming soon to Chula, Chula Vista, and IB, Imperial Beach. Just taking over SD. They're kind of like the stone brewing in in cannabis. Locally owned and operated and uh, all around good dudes. All right, Perry Farrell. This is insane. I uh, I first met Perry years ago. When I was in college, I was uh, a student over at San Diego State and having uh, gone to high school up in L.A. as Jane's addiction was first breaking, it was just insane meeting him years later backstage, of all things. I was backstage at a Spinal Tap concert at the uh, Spinal Tap, you know, the movie? Well, the band, the uh, fictitious band, reformed and played a series of shows at the Universal Amphitheater. It was a big to-do, and my dad used to work with the amphitheater, so he got me hooked, you know, being his son, got hooked up with some tickets and some backstage passes and met Perry Farrell, and I rolled up to him. I've got the picture in the uh, in the blog and up on my Instagram. I'm wearing this Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt. I'm all nervous, and I go up to him and I say, Hey, Perry, can I ask you a question? And he says, uh, you want to know how to grow a real beard, don't you? <laughs> and I said, no. I wanted to see if I can get a picture with you. And he's like, no problem, man. And we, we take the picture together. And then I turn to Perry's left, my right, and standing right there is Lane Staley of uh, Alice and Shane's. But I can tell, even my young college mind can tell that this dude is just just gone doesn't want to be disturbed. Lane, that is. So I didn't approach Lane. I just kind of gawked from afar, along with all the other celebrity sightings at the show. I remember running into Martin Short and losing my mind as well. I mean, Perry Farrell, 
my favorite musician, Martin Short, my favorite SNL cast member. The whole thing was insane the night. But then I get into radio years later, and uh, I've interviewed Perry just countless times over the years. And it was always a big deal to me because uh, getting back to uh, the early days, if you will, Jane's Addiction, no question, uh, one of the most impactful bands. I mean, top three up there with Radiohead and Rage Against the Machine. Honestly, I, I look at Jane's Addiction and nothing shocking as, as a bigger, more profound influence than uh, Nirvana's Nevermind. It, it was the gateway. It really was. I mean, Jane's Addiction was like a gateway drug to alternative rock. I, I even knew Perry's older band, uh, Psycom, because when I first moved to Los Angeles, I didn't have friends. So I would go to all the record stores throughout the valley, and then I'd go down to the city, Melrose, and just find friends in the vinyl bins and the cassette racks. And I remember hearing Psycom because they were out of uh, Venice and thinking they were so cool. And then years later, Jane's Addiction on the Strip, Chili Peppers. Oh, it was madness. And then Guns N' Roses. And then that's when around that time I came to San Diego State, came to San Diego to go to college. And then I would see all these bands that I had seen in high school up in L.A., come through San Diego and I'd see Jane's at Montezuma Hall or Golden Hall or Iguanas. Oh, it was incredible. And uh, to catch up with Perry and talk about this box set, a retrospective is a veritable treat and he couldn't be cooler. Do you remember... Might have been 91. We, uh, it was almost the first Lollapalooza we'd ever done. The first or the second. Yeah. And I came, pulled in, uh, in a bus. We, you know, obviously drove down from LA. And I see a bunch of balloons over the entrance. And it says, 91X Fest. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't part of the station. No. I was a, I was a fan. Oh really? <laughs> but I remember it drove uh, your manager, or it was uh, it was Mark Geiger, I believe, at the time. He he had his hand in that, and it drove him crazy. He lost his mind. Yeah, they were like, ah, break those balloons down. Well, the whole idea, you know, behind your box set, there's a lot of nostalgia, obviously, tied to it. And I think more about your first show. In Mexico with Porno for Pyros, I was in the crowd there when you walked out with a string of fireworks or firecrackers and threw them into the crowd, sold out capacity. That was a gnarly scene. Speaking of Porno for Pyros, we were, uh, we've been chatting a lot lately, our crew, and uh, looking to do some damage again near August. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. What was your initial attraction to Mexico? It seemed like you had a deep connection to Mexico throughout your early career, especially. Well, yeah, I, I guess, you know, living in L.A. on the West Coast, you just uh, get indoctrinated into the, uh, the culture. I was specifically interested in Santerian, uh, the religion of Santeria. I just thought it was a beautiful aesthetic to the religion. And you've got all these Santerian stores in L.A. Sure. To catch my eye, I would go in there and frequent them. And 
pick up, you know, statues, small statues and uh, other things that were, I guess, saints or <clears throat> there was like this one statue I had of a guy and uh, he smoked a cigar and he was supposed to be like the, the saint of tobacco and uh, <laughs> you know, like I just, I just thought it was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, what would you call it? Uh, like folk art in a way. Um, it was very earthy, but very spiritual and colorful. Yeah. And, and uh, the other, the other thing, I, the other connection I have to Mexico is, is surf. Yeah. We have some great surf in Mexico and I've gone down and surfed their Mexican pipeline, uh, La Libertad, San Blas, which is one of the world's longest waves. Yep. So, um, I, Scorpion I, Bay. Uh, Scorpion Bay, I've been Woo! there too. Yeah. Do you surf? I do indeed. Oh, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a longboarder. I love longboarding. I love any board. Period. You know, snowboarding is awesome. Skateboarding is great. Yeah. And it's crazy because your music, and I'm sure you know this, you know, going back, it was really the soundtrack to a lot of our surf trips skate you know going down to the skate park going up to the mountains and you, we were listening to jane's addiction and and porno and for those who were around before that psycom yeah you were li you, well you, you have psycom now to listen to but it was no i was there yeah i was there then it was crazy really wow oh my god dude and there was so much influence right with your music and those categories correct the surf snow and skate yeah, like that was the beginning of extreme sports in those days. So this was before X Games. I'll tell you a funny little story. Please. So after we did Lollapalooza, I was approached by X Games to be the master of ceremony for this new thing they were calling X Games. And they brought me these boards. I saw myself with this, you know, skinny guy with a pointy nose and a top hat they had rendered in to all their, you know, half pipes and stuff like that. So um, I don't know if it was before or after that year, but uh, it was the first year that Lollapalooza had ever done sponsorship because we were, we were very resistant to it. Yeah. But what was going on was other festivals started to pop up and they were taking sponsorship. And so as a result, they had more money than, than I did to you know per, to buy the acts basically so the first one i allowed to do was a uh, it was a skate company airwalk yep so they made sneakers and they made snowboards of course snow boots yep and i had a half pipe i put a half pipe there that year i think tony hawk might have been one of the cats who we dropped in it was like expression session just that you know not of course competitions but after that um my friend kevin started uh his uh the vans warp tour yeah vans tour. yeah right after that that was uh that was such an amazing time and do you see us returning i i, I saw your post and i loved it with you getting your vaccination shots and celebrating the fact that you're on your way to Lollapalooza. Yeah, man. Well, <laughs> the, 
where we stand right now, Chris, is uh, it's on still. So Lollapalooza happens in America every weekend, uh, first weekend of August. Right. So, so far, so good. They haven't told us we're not doing it. But, and so we're moving, you know, we're moving forward very cautiously. Yeah. Um, today is a good day for uh, people that are 19 and above in California. The 19 and above can now get vaccinated. So get out there, man. Yeah. So we can get these shows happening. Yeah, and, get uh, shows happening. Obvious question to ask, but I am curious how the last year in the pandemic, just yourself as an artist and, and the struggle there, I can't imagine it's, it's easy sitting at home when you want to be out among the people. You know, I just, I was very busy because as a musician, if you have a studio here in your home, recording equipment here, which I do, I was recording round the clock, man. I mean, I had uh, put out the box set, the glitz, the glamour. That's, yep. uh, I don't know, 60 plus tracks. And uh, we're still, we'll start pumping away, you know? So it was, it was interesting in that I was prolific with recording. And I feel that it was a good thing that I did so much recording because you never know the next time you're going to have that space. Right. Creative. So I just took advantage of that. And in the meantime, as you can hear above me, my, my sons picked up instruments and now they're jamming and playing with a, uh, this new crew of people come over all hours of the night. <laughs> uh, see, they hit my, oh my God, my bearing yarder. Look at this. <laughs> yes, yeah, they haven't been here. That's look the end that. of the bottle, there, buddy. Here's the other one. Look at it, and this oh. one's watered down. Look <laughs> at the difference. <laughs> we did that in college. They they watered this one. That's what your boys are doing, so they don't. Like you they don't, don't notice know, you're drinking. Like they don't. They don't think I know this trick. That's friggin' hilarious. That is yeah, great. You know, I I just love feeling that uh, new music is being churned out, you know, by them. Yeah. My, my son and his friends are really into the idea of being in a band and rocking out. And I just love listening to their, you know, oh, dad, you know, uh, Frank Zappa, yeah, you you dig Zappa? Yeah, I'm down with Zappa. And um, yesterday, my other son Isidore came down, and um, he was listening to Stevie Winwood in traffic. And I go, "Come on, Low, Low Spark! You got to listen to Low Spark." So we listened to it the whole album together because I was kind of like starting to just go ahead, you know, go through the tracks to get to uh, Low Spark because that song is like a it is magical, right? Next level. So I was starting to press, you know, fast forward, fast forward. He goes, stop. I want to listen to the whole thing. I said, all right, cool. Deep tracks. Roll. Down. Cool. So we listened to it all. And uh, those kinds of moments are unforgettable moments that I'll always remember during the pandemic that the family got together. We got really close as a family. 
I love it. Yeah. So, you know, thank God nobody got COVID in my right. house. I had, I had a friend who got COVID, a good friend who was, uh, you know, part of my surf crew. No, no. Who, who passed. But other than that, uh, my family for the most part, yeah, we, uh, we didn't get hit with the uh, virus. What about you? Same. We were very, very lucky. Same, same experience here. And I've got, I've got the kids at home and had similar experience where we were able to actually get everybody together and bond and talk to each other in ways we had never done before. Yeah. I mean, I had an hour plus conversations with my children. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a was. lifetime. My kids, they basically avoided me. Yeah. Walking around with their headphones, you're talking to them and they're not responding. That kind or of give thing. you one word answers or grunt. Yeah, right. I get the grunt. Yeah. I am curious though, now that they're really delving in the music, how do you navigate through that as, as a father and as a, as a professional? So, you know, I've got, a, I've got the garage uh, slowly t- transforming into a, you know, the garage where the kid, they all can come and rehearse and practice. And now I hear a woman, a girl's voice in there. I'm like, there we go. Yeah. Start hearing, you know, they have fans. <laughs> but do you give them advice or do you, that, that's oh, kind of what yeah, I was getting totally. at is, do you, yeah. you know, you're a, prof- you know, it's like a professional ball player and your kid starts playing baseball and you're a retired right. major league pitcher. Yeah. So, you know, you have to understand my boys, they grew up around, uh, live entertainment their whole life. They were going to Lollapalooza before they could walk or talk. Sure. So they, they get the big picture. Um, what they don't really know is, is where the music business is right now is changed. Even in the last year, I think because COVID gave this big gap, certain things were, uh, allowed to evolve like as an example the the glitz the glamour came out dirt like the end of covid it came out just at the end of the year right um i put it out myself with this a record company last man they come out of the uk uh, my team my you know my management team had a lot to do with the creation of it and um it's beautiful man just for what it's worth it's gorgeous you know I've sold so far near 5 million downloads. Damn. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the industry is changing. I have the ability myself to sell more records than I've had in, in years. So the, the setup is it's much more of a cottage industry. It's gone back to when it was, remember when the indie labels started to crop up uh, early, early 80s? Yep. You know, the SSTs. SST and all that stuff. Yeah. It's kind of going back to that, which I like a lot because the young, the young guys and girls can do their thing and not worry about, uh, you know, this record label is going to dump me if I don't go uh, pop. Yeah. Like that was beginning to really rub on me, seeing how they turn their back on uh, in, independent music and alternative music was starting to really filter out off the radio. But 
in comes the, uh, you know, satellite uh, radio stations and the Siriuses and all those stations, and they just need content. Exactly. You know? and, and then you've got... Um, the podcast world. The, pod, the spot, uh, podcast world. You know, you're doing your own thing, and this is really heartfelt. Like the early DJs of the, you know, late 50s, early 60s, you're a tastemaker again. Yep. And, you know, we're, we're depending on your uh, findings, if you will, you being a, an audiophile to just, okay, I want to check that out. You know, I, I do that. I, every time I speak with anybody who loves music, I always ask them, what's, what are you listening to? What, you know, what do you hear? Of course. So I was talking to Mike Watt yesterday from uh, the Minutemen. Legendary. Uh, Legendary and the Stooges and Porno for Pyros. And he gave me a name of a, of a group that he told me that Iggy has been listening to lately. Who's, oh, I'm dying to hear this. I'm yeah. pulling out my phone now. Yeah, so, so here's, a, here's an example of how things are going for me these days. Do you remember, I sent you guys all the, um, the name yesterday of a, I actually didn't send you the name, but I just sent you the YouTube. If you just look on it, no? no okay hang on here we go let me see yeah i'll get it later yeah I got no sweat but i wanted to tell you what's more important about the the um the story is that okay so mike told me about this crew out of uh, the uk that iggy likes i called my management up and i said hey have you heard of these guys because we're always trying to you know, we have an, a nice list going of people that we would perform with, uh, with Kind Heaven Orchestra or with Porno or with Jane's or with Lollapalooza. So I'm always looking for, and just to listen and, and to learn from people. So immediately my, my team said, oh, I know those guys. They're really awesome. And they reached out to them and I'm looking to record with them. Yeah. So that's what I do. I just like, People I'm digging, I just, let's write a track. I mean, we're sitting here. Yeah. Let's write a track and let's get down. So that's how quick music can be made these days. And it can be fresh and exciting and just on impulse, which is awesome when you're making music, you know? And you were always ahead of the game when it came to technology. It's kind of like technology caught up with you in the Lollapalooza camp, because that was something you always hung your hat on, right? Well, uh, you know, I, when, it, when it comes to technology and music, uh, yeah, I've, I've really tried to ride the wave of um, hybrid sound. So as an example, you know, you have your, your instrumentalists. Recently, I've worked with a mariachi band. Yes. Here in LA. I did a really three killer mariachi tracks, right? I love mariachi music. But then I, but then I twisted it a, a bit with uh, synth sounds and synth programming. But we also have the, that big giant bass acoustic guitar that they use and their yeah. violin and their voice. And so I did a remix of Stop. So this song goes like, you'll save the complaint. For a party, 
conversation. The world is loaded. And it's got bum, bum, bum. <laughs> sounds killer, man. Oh, I love it. I got to get it played at the Tropicana here. You know, <laughs> Please. When you're talking about your voice and, and the voice, I was listening in preparation for this interview to a lot of the early Psycom stuff because I hadn't heard it since I was a teenager when I first moved to LA. And you, there was a significant progression. Your voice shifted yeah. between Psycom and Jane's addiction. And yeah. can you tell me about really finding your voice? That always fascinates me. Sure. Well, so the, Psycom was my first group and it, that's in the box set too. Okay, so the, the name of that group were the C, the, the Slayford? Sleaford. Sleaford. S-L-E-A-F-O-R-D Mods. M-O-D-S. Sleaford Mods. And I got one for you out of Australia called These New South Wales. Okay. <clears throat> These New South Wales. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. They're funny. They're kind of like a comedy punk band, but I love the shit they're turning out. It's well, good stuff. It sounds great. I, I, I can't wait to listen. The Sleepers well. do psychedelic British rap. It's almost techno rap, British and punk lyrics. Like the lyrics are dark. Oh, rap. that's great. Yeah. I can't wait. Now you were saying as far as uh, Psycom and your voice and, and first oh, yeah. kind of working with yeah. things. So Psycom was my first group and I believed I could sing, you know, I was, I sang around the house when I was a child all the time. Um, but in my mind, um, musicians are kind of raised, you know what I mean? I, I thought that anyway, right. Trained classically to a yeah. guitar and an amp, you know, my parents did not support me in that way at all. So when I came out here, punk rock hit and I was able to kind of slide in there because you know you have to have a larger than life personality and a will to just go for it in life you know and you know you had to have talent you had to have some god-given talent so I had all of those qualities I felt but I was I'd never sung professionally right. I started singing at age 21 damn so, so that was the that was the record that you heard, and I. But you know, when I when I recorded that record, I was really into Joy Division and The Cure, Psychedelic Furs, Bowie. Do you like Nick Cave? Nick Cave. Dude, yeah. I heard some yeah. Nick Cave in there, man. Just yeah. some of that Psycom stuff. I heard Nick Cave. It was basically like goth mixed with punk. Right. And. Susie and the Banshees, you know, we, we loved her and, you know, we were, we were kind of, I wouldn't say goth just because, but we were, right. we were <laughs> I was on Doom and life sucks and, you know, um, I'm going to, you know, die. I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. You know, talking about death all the time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that started to kind of, way on my mind because I was starting to have a really good time. I was no longer depressed, you know, right. <laughs> because, because we were like we're performing at these parties where all the kids were, 
Yeah. And I had no reason to be bummed out. So after a while, I think I was in Psycom for maybe two years. Um, that band was started from scratch. You know, they, they, they didn't have a, another singer. They were putting a band together. They had one group called After Image that they were in and they broke up. That's why they needed a singer. And so they got started putting out uh, auditions in the LA Weekly, you know, ads to uh, audition. That's what, that's the way it used to be. Of course. LA Weekly, you had the Music Connection, which was a magazine you had to pay for, like $1.25 or something. So sometimes we wouldn't get it because we can get the Weekly for free. Sure. Go to the back and look at the, the musicians and see who needs, who needs a singer. And then they always will list their influences. So if their influences were kind of off, I wouldn't bother. But I kind of had a wide net. You know, sometimes I would go for like a must, must love the blues magoos at 13th floor elevator, like, <laughs> like a garage band. I like, I, I could see, I could see practice, you know, jamming with those guys. And, but then I would get there and I would think, you know, these guys will never make it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm taking off. Um, it wasn't until I ran into uh, Dave Navarro and Stephen Perkins. Yeah. Eric came out of, um, I broke off from Psycom and I was just by myself. And so we lived in this house, the, uh, we called the Wilton house. It was an old white elephant house near Paramount studios where they used to put the old actresses and, and actors. They used to put them up in that neighborhood. Okay. So they had these really nice houses, but the neighborhood's not nice right. anymore. So I got to rent this house from these brothers. One of them was a cop. I lied and told them that I was an interior decorator because so, <laughs> I couldn't tell them I was a musician. So I of just buoyantly went in there and like, I'm an interior decorator and I could make this place look great. And so they trusted me. And then in, I bring all my uh, friends slash musician friends. And there were probably four rooms, six rooms, all filled with musicians and their girlfriends and their parents. Oh, yeah. Th that cop hated my guts, but he couldn't get rid of me. Because <laughs> L.A.'s got these really strong laws about... Yeah, to protect you as a renter. Exactly. Renter. So they, they couldn't do it. Uh, they had to have a great cause and everything. I gave them great cause, actually. I mean, one guy was raising puppies... He was like, <laughs> turned his room into a puppy mill. Oh God! Puppies, he put paper, newspaper down on the wood floor. This old house, and the puppies would pee on the on the paper, and it would saturate and go right through the paper into the wood. And the, and the wood started buckling up. That's how much pee was in from this urine. That's oh, awful. And the cop would come, and now he's starting to strap a gun on his hip because he's so pissed and he wants to threaten me, but he can't. So he's walking around with a, a damn holster, you know, telling me, uh, you know, I'm going to get rid of you guys. I'm like, oh. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. 
One thing I did want to address with you or ask you about in, in regards to that time frame was because uh, I'm a kid going to these shows and remember seeing you on stage with Dave and I remember seeing things that I don't remember if it was real, if it really happened in front of me. And, and were there portions in your career where you and Dave were pushing boundaries with sexuality on stage? Because I, I, I seem to remember that and questioning my own at the time. Oh, really? <laughs> I swear to you, dude. Well, yeah, I mean, we definitely had fun with uh, sexuality. You know, my, my boys are doing the same thing right now. Like, I see him kind of sneaking out. Where are you going? I, he turn around. He's got makeup on. I'm like, you, what are you doing, man? Goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he goes, you know, he goes, Sean, Sean's date screwed up. He wanted to go to a drive-in, so I'm going to be his date. Yeah. <laughs> so I went, all right. And, uh, yeah, that they've got, uh, he's got a lot of gay friends. God. It was a different time, though. It was the 80s. You know, this is the 80s where no one was talking about that shit back then. Yeah, I guess not. You know, you're right about that. Every, everybody's uh, civil rights and civil liberties has, I think, been elevated. And now we're up to, you know, our our black brothers, our uh, Asian brothers uh, are starting to speak out and say, you know, They've uh, been treated unfairly, and they have been, and we're making progress. Although sometimes you you think, God, you, mankind are are just so lame. I know, <laughs> but that's only because you'll hear an odd story, and yes, they are. They can be lame. They can be murderous. Of course, this land is dangerous. Yeah, All the animals are capably murderous. But on the other side of the coin, and I think. Even more than that, we're learning about love, learning how to love. We're learning how important love is, yep. and we're learning how to exchange love. That's really all it is. It's a person exchanging love with something, somebody that they love. If it happens to be a guy, that's, I, I think love, love conquers all. I completely concur. And for what it's worth, man, I love you. And Thank I love what you do. <laughs> Thank you for creating beautiful art. I certainly encourage people to pick up Glitz and the Glamour. Go on a tremendous ride with Perry Farrell, perryfarrell.com. And uh, thank you. I got nothing other than thank you, man. You got it, Chris. Good to speak with you again. Pleasure. Last question before I forget. Are you still surfing? I haven't surfed in about a year. It's been a minute. I had a neck operation. I had two two neck operations, actually, uh, over the the COVID. <laughs> I want to call it the COVID holiday. The COVID, yeah. Not a holiday, but um, over the course of COVID, I had two two um, what are they called? Like fusion things, disc things. I those are the I those are the worst, it. dude. Discs put in my neck. Ugh. It's been a minute, but I just got back from a snowboard uh excursion good up in, from As aspen colorado and it was gorgeous man yeah. it was end of the season so it was warm but yeah. there was still like it it dumped about an eight inch powder uh the morning that i got there so i was snowboarding um but i'm looking out at the waves now because i live about um, a mile back from the yeah. 
and it's looking more and more inviting. I, I'm definitely getting in the water in, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Good. I hope you get out there. And if you're ever down here in San Diego, I'll, uh, I'll take you to some shapers and stuff to help you get back in, man, if it oh, helps. That's awesome. I yeah. appreciate that, Chris. Oh, man, that was just the best. Uh, Thank you so much to Perry Farrell for coming on the Cantori Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pick up the Glitz, the Glamour box set, a 35-year solo retrospective out now on Last Man Music. And I I love how uh, at the end you, you just hear... I'm, I'm trying to get that final connection with Perry and offering him a... I don't shape surfboards. What am I going to take him down to see Skip Fry or Josh Hall? <laughs> hey, uh, Skip, this is uh, Perry Farrell. Can you uh, shape him one of your legendary boards just as a, just as a favor? Because I promised him one at a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's so me. But that's, that's the surfer's aloha. You, you just want to extend the stoke. And I was just so stoked. Do you hear that Perry was uh, getting back in or looking at getting back in the water? I just hope I didn't sound too pathetic in the process. <laughs> All right. Until next show, and we've got a lot of great ones on the way, uh, be well, and uh, thank you for listening. And it's all about the love, as Perry said at the end there. Love. Put it out there. It'll come back to you. Well, that's our show. It's over. What? It's over. It is over. Is that it? That's it. Everybody still awake? Will you come on already? I I, I just can't stand these long goodbyes. All right. Big finish. See you later.